found out recently one of my favorite old adages is actually a Thomas Sowell quote. I want to walk you through it. And believe it or not, there actually is a deeper lesson after that Clemson University football loss. We'll talk about that more on this week's Corey Track Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. I know, I know, for some of you talking about a loss from your favorite football program is quite painful, probably more painful than it should be if you are one of those folks, but I think we can take an object lesson from it. We'll do that second on this week's show. I want to first tell you about this old adage I learned was not of my own. It's not an old wives' tale. It's actually from a brilliant economist. We'll start there in just a moment on The Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. My name, conveniently, is Corey Truax. You can find me anywhere on the interwebs. Well, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, those three places. Look for me, Corey Truax. Contact the show at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. Amongst many other things, I also get to serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. And Beachwood Church meets at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville. And I do mean this, those of you who listen weekly. If you are not part of a church family in the Greenville area, Easley area, you are more than welcome. We'd love to have you uh, any given Sunday morning. And uh, you are invited. I also went to a <clears throat> went on a trip here recently to Colorado for work. I got to do some fun stuff while I was there. I have some thoughts from from that trip as well. That's the the nature of the show, right? I don't want to just come on and do news. It's not my desire. Just the stuff that's been happening in my own head that I think is useful to others at least more than half the time. Here's the old adage that I've used in the business world for a long time. I don't know where I first heard it. But I've often said to people in business settings when trying to make a decision, and sometimes in a personal setting, there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. It might be something for you to take into your own household, into your own marriage, into your own management of any given situation or project. There is truly, almost never, a solution. There's just a trade-off. You are choosing to get less of one thing and more of another. When you are buying a car, there's no solution. There's no perfect car to buy. You spend more, have a higher payment, pay more in in insurance, and you get the cooler car. That was the trade-off. The trade-off is you have to pay more. Or you can pay less and get less car. There's no solution. There's just a trade-off. All of life. And if we would see life that way, we'll actually always be happier. Because in every situation we run into, we recognize, you know, this is not going to work out perfectly. I'm not actually going to get the perfect spouse. A comedian I listen to sometimes, he's a little little dirty for me sometimes, uh, has the joke that uh, ladies, Prince Charming wouldn't settle for you. But gentlemen, fill in the blank, whatever the version of female Prince Charming is, it's probably Carrie Underwood. I'm just kidding. Uh, She wouldn't settle for you. right? So, And now that we've all settled on that, it's just trade-offs. It's all compromises. So if it's in relationships and it's it's in cars, it's in housing, it's whatever you get, uh, whatever you're, tr- you're trying to make a decision on, everything is trade-offs. Here's why it occurred to me recently, and then I said it to someone, and someone said to me, oh, that's the old Thomas Sowell quote, and I'll, I'm going to play something for you from Thomas Sowell in a second. I was seeing the real shortages happening in some places uh, in hospitals and medical facilities regarding vaccine mandates that some medical professionals not wanting to have a COVID-19 vaccine 
choosing to quit their jobs, being fired, losing their jobs, and the consequence being some medical care having to be diminished. There's a shortage of care in some places. It's not severe, but it's there because people, some people at those facilities are choosing not to get a vaccine. And so you, you look at that. You go, uh, I'm, a, I'm a solutions guy, and I want to get our COVID spread down to as close to zero as possible. My solution is to mandate the vaccine. All right, well, here was the trade. Because it was so important to you to stop this one virus as if it's the only thing that's happening in the world. It's the only health issue we've got. Your trade-off is there's going to be less health care available, period. At a time when the country is fatter and sicker than ever, it has a COVID issue, and has uh, we're, we're older than ever, we're aging, when we need more and more medical professionals, you set up a decision because you wanted to stop COVID, you wanted a good thing, your trade-off was a bad thing. And you, then you have to ask the question, is my trade worth it? I have less healthcare workers, less healthcare available because it's a product, not a right. And now we have a trade-off. You can think about this with any given policy. Minimum wage. Well, I want people with lower wages to have higher wages. Okay. Now, what's the trade-off? Always, it's higher unemployment, higher prices, usually inflation. And so you, now you just have to ask the question, is it worth it? Because there's no perfect solution. There's only ever trade-offs. You can think about it in the political world right now on all the spending one political party wants to do. We already have an inflationary pressure. There's already too many fake government dollars in the system chasing after too few goods, pushing up the cost of every appliance, every tank of gas, every car, every phone, every computer chip. Prices are going up on everything because of inflation. And in the midst of that, because of a, a grab bag of goodies one side wants, they're ready to try to spend $4.5 trillion. Which, listen to what that's a very important word I used. They want to spend $4.5 trillion. That, that spending would be on goods. So if it's on infrastructure, it's on, uh, it's on trucks and materials and uh, what are those things called? Tractors and uh, I don't know anything about construction. Those big crane things. And so you need metals and materials and um, all the stuff that you need to make those things in a market that's already in shortages is suffering inflation because there's too few supply for too many dollars. You just go ahead full hog and go, we want to go spend $4.5 trillion into an economy that already can't support the demand on it. What are you going to get in this trade-off? We're going to get more inflation. But then they have to decide, is that worth it? Because in life, there is no such thing as a solution. There's only a trade-off. And as we age, grow up, and mature, we recognize that. And we just become more comfortable with it. That's the nature of life. We have trade-offs. In that vein, I want to play that for, for you. I think Thomas Sowell is possibly the most underrated public intellectual of my lifetime. A very important voice in economics in particularly, but in lots of other things. If you don't know the Thomas Sowell story, there is a version of it. I watched it on, maybe I watched it on YouTube. Uh, it was a documentary and uh, just about his life. He's an he's incred incredible guy, one of the most important public intellectuals of my lifetime. Um, I'm going to play for you now when he said this about, this is about 10 years ago in an interview, and you can get uh, some more examples of it. This is Thomas Sowell. The liberal premise 
I guess uh, uh, the Rousseau notion, you know, that man is born free, but is everywhere and changed. The Their question, if you didn't hear it at the beginning, was what is the liberal premise? And then he'll get the question, what's the conservative premise? And in that, you'll get your answer. Um, but he's giving you now the liberal premise. I'm going to rewind that so you can hear the whole thing. What is the liberal premise? I guess uh, uh, the Rousseau notion, you know, that man is born free, but is everywhere and changed, that the real problem with the world is that the institutions are wrong. If the institutions were right, then man, there, there was nothing in human nature that would cause us to be unhappy. It's the fact that we have the wrong institutions. What is the conservative premise? That uh, man is flawed from, uh, from day one, and that I... I love that contrast, by the way. I'm coming back to the main point, but the, the liberal premise, the secular left-wing premise and how they come to policy. This is theological, by the way. I'm not, I don't care to do politics, really. That the, the problem for the secular left-winger is always, the problem is out there. No human has any problem. No human did anything wrong. It's never the human. What we know is it's the institutions. It's the church. It's the government. It's the rich. It's the powerful. It is something outside of the individual, because the individual is never wrong. It's always the systems and the conservative premise is the exact opposite. What's wrong? Well, people are wrong. People are flawed. People are sinful. People are selfish. And if we don't change people, then we have to have governments restrain the worst of the, of the people. And you'll get clearly here why so much conservative policy, not all, so much conservative policy is so much more biblically minded than liberal policy because the premise is right. We know what the problem is. Here is more of Thomas Sowell. There are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. And whatever you do to deal with one of Man, I love that. I love that quote. That's the one we're dealing with. When you live in a world where you know, oh, this world is flawed. I'm never going to get exactly what I want. I only ever get trade-offs. Then you, one, you mature, you grow up. This is one of the ways in which conservatism is also just much more mature, much more adult than leftism. It recognizes the world as it is. It's flawed. It's hard. We're just choosing between hard things. And Soul points that out here. We just recognize we're going to have to choose, we're going to have to uh, lose something that we want. I've talked about it in healthcare. Uh, between these three things, you can only have two. It's affordability, excellence or quality, if you want to call it that, um, and availability. The more something costs, the, the more excellent usually it is, but it, it also becomes less available. But it, uh, and, and, and all of those pull on each other. I was about to go into the whole thing. I don't have time for it. All those things pull on each other. This is more of Thomas Sowell. Man's flaws, it creates another problem, but that you try to get the best trade-off you can get, and that's all you can hope for. Uh, I've often said uh, there, there are three questions that I think would destroy most of the arguments on the left. And the first is, uh, compared to what? The second is... Man, I love that one. When you compare... I've talked about this in the last year on the show. When you compare, for example, the United States against perfection, you might be disaffected and you're disappointed in the country. When you look at some, solu some solution to a given problem in economics or against poverty or in healthcare, when you compare it to perfection, what you think the world should be, because you're usually a naive, childish thinker, you get disaffected. You're disillusioned because the world's not perfect. The world's not exactly what I want. But when you look at most of the solutions offered up, especially in the United States. Well, compared to what? What civilization in history was better? What civilization right now is better? You're looking at this, you're looking, I've talked about it before with, with patriotism, maybe not that word, but just the concept of whether or not the country is a decent place. 
you compare us to almost anywhere on on the earth, and yeah, we're a fantastic place. Here is more of Thomas Sowell. The second is, at what cost? And the third is, what hard evidence do you have? Let's just get number two really quickly. That's a great question. I've talked about it before, uh, how uh, modern American leftism only does a benefit analysis. They never analysis. They never do a cost analysis. The analysis is always as mature as, as thoughtful as, but I want it. But I see a sad thing, and this thing makes me sad, and I don't want it to be sad anymore. Can we stop the sadnesses, please? Well, can we talk about how much it's going to cost? No, it just makes me super sad. We, I don't want to be sad anymore. So just make it stop, please. You see how childish that is? That's how your kids think. It's just, mom, dad, stop the thing that I don't like. Okay, well, to stop the thing we don't like, here's all the impracticalities to make this thing go away. I don't don't really care. I just want it to stop, please. Just make it stop, okay? Thank you. A great question from Thomas Sowell there. Compared compared to what? Well, how much does it cost to fix this problem you're having? We'll let him finish up. Now, there are very few ideas on the left that can pass problems. The solution out there. Uh, you know, Adam Smith didn't believe that, the, that, the, that the, the, either the government or the market could solve all that the, the, either the government or the market could solve all problems. That you have to be able to simply tolerate certain things. I think we can leave it there. I do want to encourage you, as you go out into life, as you leave the organization you're in, you think about business, to bring that kind of thinking into your world. There are no solutions, but we can't just grow up and have some trade-offs. We can't just grow up and have some trade-offs. There's a lot more I want to do on the show. We'll get started on all of that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truex Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. But Corey, Corey, you would say, don't you want to explain to us what's going on in the Congress with the debt ceiling and raising it and a reconciliation bill with one infrastructure bill and then another bill? Build back better infrastructure bill that's human infrastructure. Don't you want to explain it? Don't you want to explain it? No, not really. I'd actually rather tell you about a conversation I had recently that I think will lead us to a much better and more important conversation. We'll get started on that in just a moment on the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me, Corey Truax, wherever you listen to podcasts and on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there, and I hope that you will. I live in the upstate of South Carolina, and if you don't already know, there is a competing religion in South Carolina, especially in the upstate, competing with all of your actual real Christianity and then all the various fake ones and the the global faiths. There is maybe the most widespread and unifying religion, and that is Clemson University football. I actually find it funny because I work in higher education, how many folks in high school barely really recognize that Clemson is a college. It's really just a football program for, for a lot of people mentally. Mentally, they just know, oh, that's the football program. Oh, yeah, yeah I guess they, they have classes and stuff. and They're like a college too, right? And because that program has been so good for 10 years and has been on the ascendancy for 15 years, There's a lot of warmth and great emotion around it. My best friend for most of my life is maybe the biggest Clemson fan that I know. And I had a conversation with him very short on a Sunday morning before church here recently that I think leads us to a useful conversation. 
If you don't know, for the first time in a very long time, Clemson University is not having a great football year. Lots of injuries and uh, unexpected lack of success. And so there's been some dejection and uh, you, you, could, you can feel it around the upstate a little bit. Some folks disappointed because this is a huge part of their life. Honestly, it's much, much too big a part of a lot of people's lives. How much their emotional well-being rests on the the performance of 18 to 22 year olds on Saturday afternoons. I find it really psychotic and probably idolatrous, but in any event, he's a huge Clemson fan. And we were talking Clemson football and he said these words to me, Clemson fans have gotten so entitled because he's such, he's such a bigger fan than me. I just shut up and stopped talking and let him talk. And he ran through how, you know, those of us who have been Clemson fans for a long time, have you know we lived through all these bad times and you you just don't wreck you don't remember how hard it is to win he, he said to me I feel like a lot of these folks became fans of Clemson in 2015 right as they were winning national championships and going to national championships and they don't know what it's like to not be always on top and winning is very hard and all this winning has had people having the attitude that if Clemson's not up by 50 in the first quarter they take it as a personal offense they ask how are you offending me in this way that you have not given me exactly what I wanted in my football watching experience? And, and while that is true here in the upstate of South Carolina, and Heath was right, that's my best friend if I didn't mention his name. He used to be on the show doing sports together. There is something deeper there. It's all about entitlement. Entitled people are miserable people. I've said it on the show many times. Grateful people are happy people. Entitled people are miserable. You know, it goes a little bit back to that first segment when Thomas Sowell asked the question, compared to what? The entitled person believes, well, what I deserve is perfection. What the world should be is exactly what I want it to be. And if it's not exactly what I want it to be, then I'm disaffected and I'm sad and I'm upset. I deserve every good thing that I want. And the opposite of that, gratefulness, you are so surprised that anything ever good happens. When good stuff happens, you're blown away because you know the natural state of things is disarray and disrepair. And so it's a good point of reflection for all of us, while it's just this very small thing, ultimately it's just college football, to remind ourselves of a couple items. One, every good thing in your life takes a ton of work. Do you want an incredible marriage? It will not happen on accident. You will have to intentionally plan, intentionally be patient, intentionally get to know over and over somebody for the rest of your life. Do you want your kids to follow Christ faithfully and your grandkids to follow Christ faithfully in a quickly, rapidly, and radically secularizing world and for them to stand firm in a time where it's going to be weird to stand firm. Do you want that? It will not happen on accident. Do you hear me? Winning is hard. It takes very hard work. And if winning for you is seeing that in your kids, it's going to take intentionally putting things like the Word of God above their teacher's Word and their favorite YouTuber's Word and speaking into them scriptural truth over all the other influences they have. It will take putting a premium on being in church when your church meets. 
it will take you. Ooh, this one, this one's gonna hurt. So I'm, I'm trying to repair you. This one's going to sting. It will take you living consistently with the things you say, so as to not rile up in them a charge of hypocrisy of their parents. You know, something just fired off in me, and I need to say it. Uh, I'll come back to this: that every good thing, every good thing takes hard work. You know, we've always had Father's Day and Mother's Day. Recently, there seems to be some made-up holidays. We started having a Daughter's Day and Sunday, and fine, whatever. I, that's great. Actually, I, I saw some those of you who have babies and small children. It was adorable seeing all your kids' pictures. But my dad, he texts me on this made-up holiday, which that, that sentence by itself is funny enough that my my dad texts me, and he said something like. Well, actually, he first said, hey, I met someone who listens to your show. I was getting blood work done at the hospital and because our last name's so weird. You know, this guy said he listens to you and he likes what you say. So, hey, guy out there, thank you. But he said, today is National Sunday. Just want to say that I'm, now I'm reading the text. That I love you. I'm proud of you. It's a, li- it's a light to have you as a son. Have a great day. And I said back to him something that's very true. Well, let me, let me stop for a second. I listen for for real, really quick. Let me just be straight with you. I know I'm flawed. Like I know I'm super arrogant. I have a lot of vanity. I know I know I have my problems. The Holy Spirit works on them. I'm not pretending that I'm some kind of. I'm not under the impression that I'm awesome. Is my point. But the things that he says, you know, he might be proud of. That I, I do, I do love the Lord. I've become a better follower of Jesus over the years. And I did all that stuff you're supposed to do by your mid-30s. I own a house and, you know, in stable, good relationship. Got to serve as a father figure. All this, you know, great job, all that stuff you're supposed to do. All the stuff that people are proud of or whatever. But I, so I wrote back to him. If you're proud of me and your, his, his other son, Doug, you need to just hear this. Well done. Because we're just a reflection of you. Now that I'm fully grown and I've had like, all kinds of social settings and been around a lot of people. Here's what I found. Most everyone's dad is terrible. Like we have a really depressed, high anxiety, really sad generation of people in their 30s and 20s and 40s because dads were really bad at dadding. I made up a verb. And so I, it almost makes me wonder what the Lord thought of me that he gave me basically the perfect father. And I, I still had my struggles in life, you know? And some of you out there had some really not great dads, and you're like nailing it. So it, it tells me my, of my own fortitude, there is not much, because I am spoiled rotten when it comes to how I was raised. But going back to this point, I know it was hard work for my dad. It was hard work for my mom. Because if you're going to have faithfully following Jesus' children, if you're going to win in that way, it takes work. It's going to take effort from you. So if you want a great marriage or great kids, it's going to take work. If you want to be making more money, if you want that promotion, it will take hard work from you. It will not happen to you. No good things happen on accident. Serendipity is not really a thing. Good things take hard work. Sometimes it takes a lot more work than you think it's worth. You know, you you want to be more financially stable. It will take the hard work of financial discipline. I saw a meme recently that I guess I laughed at, but I wanted to message this person and say, you actually need to listen. They were making fun of baby boomers, so people 
you know, in their mid and above an upper 60s and above that. The meme was saying, like the boomers would say to millennials and Gen Z, the reason you guys can't afford a house and you're all struggling with money is because you buy so much coffee. And the, and the, the Gen Z or millennial would say back, don't you think it might be the crippling inflation that we've seen over the last you know, 20 or 30 years? And the boomer says, no, it's the coffee. And the millennial says back, well, don't you think it might be the incredible cost of housing that wasn't like that when you were young and you were getting started financially? And the boomer says back, no, it's the housing. Excuse me, it's the coffee. And goes back and forth and always for the boomer, it's because you buy too much coffee. And of course, it's a parody. And so parodies exemplify, magnify an absurdity. But there's some truth there. Let me tell you something baby boomers were good at. Self-denial. Baby boomers were largely good at deferring gratification financially. If they couldn't afford it, get this. They didn't buy it. They just did without. You know what baby boomers were good at? When they looked at the budget and they couldn't afford a trip they wanted to take or a vacation they wanted to take, they didn't take the trip. And young people right now can't fathom it. What do you mean we're not going on vacation? What do you mean we can't have this experience that we want? What I'm saying is you can't afford it. And your parents probably didn't afford it when they were 25 either. That's the part of life you're in. Get over it. If, and if you want to be more financially secure, one of the things you might have to do is the hard work of discipline. Because no good thing happens on accident. You want to know two good themes, themes from today, themes to take away into your life? One is there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. That's the point about growing up. You will never find a perfect solution. So no, you're going to have to just choose from a series of compromises in your, in your life, throughout your life. Second lesson from today, if you want it and it's a good thing, it's going to take hard work from you. Here's the lesson. Nothing good happens on accident. All the good things take work. You want to be in shape? You want to feel better physically? You have to stop binging Netflix shows till midnight and 1 a.m. Go to bed. This is also a point of this. Grow up. A lot of these points are just grow up. You know who stays up to the middle of the night playing video games and watching TV all night? Children do. People in their teen, in their teen years do that. Am I being a little judgy right now? Yeah, maybe, but I'm just, I'm just saying it. Yeah, you might be a little childish, and you're not going to feel good if you're not getting enough sleep. And then when your lack of sleep causes you to not prepare well and you end up eating more junk food, and it means you're probably not going to be very active, and you're not going to feel good, and you're not going to be healthy. If you're offended by that, be offended at reality. It's very funny. I saw another meme that said, it's kind of rude how to be in good shape, you have to exercise and eat well. Yeah, I guess it's kind of rude, but it's what, that's, the, that's the reality. So I suggest you get on over it. So this Clemson loss. It gives us these lessons. Yeah, you, it, you've got to work hard. Winning's hard. Don't be entitled. Don't think you just deserve everything. But two other lessons from that. One, it should teach you to enjoy the, the great moments. The moments of triumph are much too few. It's one of the reasons I love football is there are fewer games than other sports. I used to be a decent baseball fan, but in the MLB, the Major League Baseball, there's 162 games a season. It's hard to have any of them be truly memorable because while the game might have been great, maybe there was a, 
a no-hitter pitched or you know, there was that one great catch. Ultimately, you know, even if you're playing a division opponent, I'm going to play that opponent like 20 more times. This game doesn't actually have a huge impact on our season. Whereas in football, every game it feels like, man, this, this one could really matter. This is a big one, especially in college football. And so I actually have great memories. I'm more of a Cowboys fan, but I can tell you some really key moments. I'm not going to do that to you because you'll be bored by it. The last 20 years of being a Cowboys fan and paying attention, I've got some great memories. And none of them are championships, by the way. <laughs> They're just times where the Cowboys really did go on the road that time and 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 beat that Packers team that, that one time in the regular season. I, I can remember that. I could Heck, I remember some losses. I remember Tony Romo and Peyton Manning going back and forth. This was when Manning was with the Broncos. For like, a, I think it was a 48-46 game, just battling back and forth. It was awesome. And even in that loss, I, I remember it just because it was such a fun game to go through. Remember those good times. You're probably going to need them. That in the hard time, you lean back on them. You draw from the strength of those. And all of the great triumphs of God's people in the old covenant, Israel, there is a command from the Lord to set up stones of remembrance or to erect an Ebenezer, a stone of remembrance. For what purpose? So that when the hard time comes, you can look back on this monument, this Ebenezer, these stones of remembrance, and you remember the Lord is faithful. He brought us through that sea and then that river and then that famine and then those asps, those snakes that came to bite us. He brought us through our our hunger and our thirst. The Lord is good. He's faithful. I look back on that Ebenezer. There's the old hymn that says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I come. I've come this far by what you do. And so that goes into my third one here. So number one is no, all the good stuff in life takes a ton of work. Nothing good comes easy. Number two, you better enjoy those great moments. Truly remember them. You know, my boys, my nephews, they're getting older. I got one this Friday going to a semi-formal dance at North Greenville University where he's ready to do the cha-cha slide, whatever other things they do there. But I also can so... Uh, i got to hold myself together here. I'm not going to allow a single motion to come through because I need you all to know that I'm a robot. But I got to take that boy to Taekwondo every Friday night for years. And he loved that so so much, six, seven, eight years old. And I get to remember when he would ask to go to Brewster's after, after those things, getting to say yes. Boy, I love telling those boys yes. And we're going we're gonna to have our troubles, I'm sure. He's a teenager. He's in college at 16. But we're always going to be able to reach back. Lean on the good times. And then finally, know that all of these good things, every win that was such hard work, every good time that you can reach back to and lean on, every one of them is a gift of God. Every one of them is a grace. Oh, but you say, Corey, you just spent the last like 15, 20 minutes telling us it's effort. It's trying. It's so hard. What do you mean it's a grace? Yeah, I said what I said. It's a grace because 
the Lord gave you whatever discipline or aptitude or love or relationship or effort that you gave. The Lord was good to give it to you and cultivate it in you. All good gifts come from the Father of lights. All good gifts come from above. So I know it was just a Clemson loss to NC State on a weekend, but there's some lessons to it. Don't be entitled. Know all the good stuff in life. It takes a ton of effort. Remember and embrace those good moments. You're going to need them. And recognize every good thing you've got, while it took a lot of effort, even the effort was a gift from your good Father in heaven. When we come back, I saw a, th- a tweet thread I want to tell you about, especially those of you who think your phone and Alexa and your Google Home device and all that stuff, they th- you think they're listening to you? I have an incredibly interesting tweet thread for you when we return for the rest of the Corey Truex Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Welcome back in for the final segment of the Corey Truex Show here on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also reach the show at Corey Truex Show at gmail.com, Corey Truex Show at gmail.com, and I always hope that you will. I feel like those are the best shows, and I most like to be challenged. So when you see a tweet or a story that challenges our worldview, like or people like me, I very much want to know about those. So I might get to one of those by the end here, uh, but I'm not sure, because I want to start here. I, in, I don't want to start, I don't want to come, come out too hot here. I have been uh, a skeptic of basically every source that's into conspiracy stuff for 20 years of thinking about things publicly. I just tend not to be a guy that thinks there's a shadow world. I think the world is the one we're looking at. There's an old axiom that says, don't account to malice what you can account to incompetence. I don't think there's a dark world behind the dunderheaded morons who, who are actually running the world. There's actually Politicians are largely dumb. They're not bright people. They just do dumb things, not necessarily evil things. Now, granted, there are people as part of the, uh, let's go with, not the legislative state, the exact opposite is what I mean, the administrative state, things like the Federal Reserve, that have a lot more power than you think they do, but it's not nefarious. It's just that they have more power than, than you know, and it's a matter of civics, and people should know that the Federal Reserve has more power uh, than you're expecting. In that same world, wh- while I have more skepticism of governments than I do the private sector, there are folks I know and love deeply. Like, I'm probably in the minority. I bet I'm, the mi- I bet I'm in the minority in this audience. It just hit me when I started saying that. Most people I know, I think, they think that their phone listens to them. That their home device listens to them. And just in case you're listening to me at home over a loudspeaker, I don't want to say the name that would turn the thing on and want to know what you're asking it. But you know those home devices. And the reason people tend to think that is they will say they've done no behavior, they've done no Googling for a given thing, and then advertisement starts showing up in their Facebook feed and their Instagram feed and their Twitter feed trying to sell them the thing that they were talking about or thinking about but never actually Googled. Admittedly, it's happened to me. I know 
that I did not Google a certain trip I was going on for work. I had not done any work on it yet. But I started getting advertisements for that city. I can't remember what city this was. This was a couple of years ago. I started seeing a visit this city coming up here soon in my, uh, in my feed. And I, w- I thought then, man, that is weird. I mean, I'm not going there for like two, two or three weeks. I don't think I haven't done any planning yet. I wonder how this, how I got into this realm for these advertisements. And it's happened to some of you. You know, you said you, you were looking for new work boots, but you didn't Google it. You just said it to somebody in a conversation and then work boots started popping up in your feed. Well, someone who works for one of the digital advertising companies did a tweet thread and he opened with, do you think your phone is, is, uh, listening to you? It's not, but I'm the one who makes you think it does. And his stuff is interesting. Here's how it starts. He went to visit his mother and he forgot to pack toothpaste and a toothbrush and in, within a day or so of him visiting his, his mother, he started getting advertisements for her brand of toothpaste that she used. And the toothbrush that... No, not the toothbrush. It was just the toothpaste. I think it was one, one other thing he forgot to pack. And he wondered, just even for a split second, himself, even as a digital advertiser, how did they do that? That I don't use this brand. I'm using this brand this week visiting my mom. How do they know? But it immediately hit him because he knows how he would do it. Check this out. Especially if you use the same email account to be associated with your logins, it links everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Your emails that are coming in to your Gmail account, to your AOL account, well, I guess none of you have AOL accounts. You're probably all, well, I have an older audience. Maybe you do. Your Gmail, your Yahoo your bank that knows your email address actually knows who you're getting emails from. And your uh, your digital, excuse me, your cell phone company knows who you are close to. If your location services are on, they know that, for, for example, AT&T knows I go to church. They have to know. Because every single Sunday morning, my location services have me in that building. And they, they could figure out who I go to church with because your digital signature is close to mine. And so they know this too. We influence each other at Beachwood Church. And so something that I'm interested in that, I, that I've been Googling for, maybe someone who's in my same age demographic, they're male, white, in their mid-30s, may not be interested in the same thing, but they know that I have some influence in their life or they have influence in my life. So they might start showing me something that men that are around me regularly have interest in. I found that at work. Things I'm not interested in, it was particularly a, a like a, what is that called? The Asian cartoons, I forgot what they're called. But there was conversation going on in our office, uh, some people who like that stuff. I am not into it. And I started seeing some ads for some of those shows, or the, maybe it was in my YouTube suggested. And I guarantee that's what it was. I am a guy whose location is in, often in relation to these guys who ended up looking up a bunch of YouTube videos for these, uh, it's called anime, that's it, for anime clips, and I'm in their orbit, so maybe take a shot at seeing if I can get, then get me into anime. And so when you link all these things together, what you're doing on social media with also your financial transactions, he really narrowed in on that. 
where if you have a financial transaction at a humane society, well, the pet smarts of the world and the pet co's of the world and all the online dog food companies, they've bought access to that. So anyone who makes a transaction at a humane society, we would like to feed them ads for our chewy boxes because our suspicion is they just got themselves a dog or maybe a cat. Uh, why would you do that? But they started getting themselves a dog. And so you're going to start seeing ads for that. And no, you didn't Google dogs. You didn't Google anything about the Humane Society. You never did it. But your financial history shows you made a purchase. And that wasn't just known to your bank or your credit card company, especially if you did it on a credit card, because the credit card companies will sell that data to advertisers. They'll sell access to what you've been buying. I know that I've, I got that during my, hi, my hiking phase. It was really primarily during 2020, and most of the country was shut down, so going outside was the primary method of entertainment. I really wasn't Googling a lot of trails. I was using the All Trails app to find where I might want to go, but hiking boots and water bottles and all that stuff was showing up, but I truly wasn't using Google or a search engine, and I was having conversations about it. That's all that happened, likely, is the All Trails app was feeding the, feeding them in. And for that matter, I bet it was this. I kept paying state parks. My financial transaction was going in, and so the, the state parks or, or my, and my financial institution was linked to the rest of the internet, and they know where I am. So here's what I, I've been trying to explain to people for a long time. Your devices aren't listening to you. It's actually, if you want to think of it this way, if it helps you to think of it this way, it's even more insidious. They, they, they being the data companies, Amazon is one. Amazon Web Services is one of the biggest data and uh, cloud companies. NVIDIA, those companies. And really the advertising companies. They know more about you than you can possibly imagine. They can cluster you in to so many groups because like groups... Uh, react the same. They have a lot of the same uh, hobbies. and So anyway, uh, your phone's not listening to you. Our data aggregation is just so effective, they know exactly what you want and how they might be able to uh, not manipulate your behavior, but uh, predict what you would want. It's because your financial institution is linked to your, your, your credit card is linked to your email address. Your email address is linked to all of your other accounts, your social media, and that's how they do it. They also do it demographically, he said. Like, this, the bottom line is some, somebody like me who has the demographic parts they do know would be interested in certain types of humor or certain types of movies, and so you just get that. All right, so here, I think here's how I want to... This might finish up the show today. I would love for you guys to do it, and then to do what I'm about to show you, and then uh, share with me your results, if you'd be willing. There is a, uh, a, a quiz out on New York Times, on the New York Times. If you Google New York Times six political parties, New York Times six political parties, you will find the quiz. If you, like me, uh, use the New York Times sometimes for news, and you've used up all your free articles, if you just use a new browser like whatever browser you use, use Bing or use Explore or something, it won't know that it's you and you can take the quiz. I'm going to take the quiz for you now. I'd love for you to go do it. We're going to do it live. And I'd love to know your results. Here's the premise of the quiz. It's 20 questions. The premise is for people like me who can't stand that we have two political parties. If we were a more coalitional system, like a parliamentary system, like Israel has and England has and like Germany has, 
which of the real six coalitions would you fit into? Because that's really what we have. We have more, more like six identities, and three belong to the Democrats and three belong to the Republicans, but they've created these coalitions without calling them coalitions in the typical parliamentary system. Because, you know, for me, I can't stand these two political parties. On one side, I'm going to say it. I know it sounds mean, and some of you identify with this party more, and I'm never going to apologize for saying things that I believe I have good reason to say are true. The Democratic Party has a platform and a policy policy platform that is largely demonic, largely immoral, not just unbiblical, but anti-biblical. These are the ideas that are in direct contradiction and hatred of the God of the Bible. And then there's another party that largely has a good platform, not all the way good, it largely has a decent platform that aligns more with biblical uh, truth, but is populated by often cowards, just utter cowards in the Republican Party, and also some insane people, some insane and crazy people as well, and other kinds of idolaters, patriotic idolaters. And so I'm not a fan of these parties, and this quiz would put me in another group. Man, I've only got like five minutes. we got to go. All right, so question one on this quiz is, should marijuana be legal? I'm going to say... I'm neutral on this. I'm, I know a lot of you are uh, hardcore against legalizing, but I, I'm just going to give you one quick illustration. I do believe this is true. If we would never knew marijuana and alcohol existed, and we discovered them both tomorrow at the same time, alcohol would be the one band. Between the two, no question that it does bigger damage. And so with alcohol just being so freely available, uh, it's hard for me to say ban marijuana. So I'm just going to say I'm neutral on this. I might even somewhat agree that it should be legal. All right, should same-sex should same-sex marriage be legal? That's question two. I say no for this reason. Um, if marriage is anything at all, it's between a man and a woman. If government wants to have marriage, its only interest is having it between a man and a woman. So I would be okay with either one or two. Abolish marriage. It doesn't exist. The government doesn't have it. Or it's between a man and a woman. There's just no reason to have same-sex marriage functionally. Uh, question three, how easy or difficult should it, should it be to immigrate to the United States? Uh, it goes from much easier to much harder. I'm going to say much easier. Question four, how do you feel about reducing government regulation of business? I strongly agree with reducing regulation. Local government should in- decrease the size of police forces and the scope of their work. I will say somewhat agree because I think our police forces are militarized largely and too aggressive. Question six, it is the responsibility of the federal government to see to it that everyone has health care coverage. Strongly disagree. None of their business. Question seven, when it comes to really important questions, scientific facts don't help very much. I somewhat disagree. Of course, we need to know scientific information. Minimum wage should be raised. Strongly disagree for me. I would rather be a citizen of the United States than any other country. Strongly agree. I would wonder who could even compete for that. Question 10, gun controls, gun control laws should be stricter, no change, or less strict. I will go less strict. I'd like to have basically no gun laws. Question 11, American society systematically advantages white people. Uh, it used to, but I'm going to go with somewhat disagree. Uh, I think abortion should be. The, the, uh, all, the uh, choices are legal in all cases, legal in some cases, and illegal in others, or illegal in all cases. I could be talked into that middle ground there, but... Uh, for some things, but I'm going to go ahead and go illegal in all cases. Of course, there's there's some there's like really one exception, uh, life of the mother. Uh, an important reason for some people, are, the, an important reason some people are poor is because the economy is unfair. I strongly disagree. Actually, you know what? I'm going to somewhat disagree. Racial minorities have mostly fair opportunities. 
uh, in the United States today, I somewhat agree. Today, discrimination against white people has become a big, as big a problem as discrimination as black people. I strongly disagree. It's actually not true at all. Question 16, should the government raise taxes on incomes above 200000 I'm a no. Do you favor or oppose providing a way of undocumented immigrants already ready in the United States to become citizens? I'm a yes on that. I think it should be hard to become a citizen if you broke the law coming here, but there's no practical way to send you home and then make you come back. So yes, I say they should be able to stay, become citizens. It should just be a hard process. And if you don't want to follow the hard process, you can leave. Those are your options. Question 18. Wealthy people spur innovation. Yes, they do. Their money does, at least. Question 19. How important is the issue of climate change to you? Uh, not very important. And it's the responsibility of the government to reduce the, to reduce the income differences among people. I may strongly disagree on that. There is none uh, for me. All right, so the six parties available are the Progressive Party, the New Liberal Party, the American Labor Party. Those would all be different parts of the left. And then there's Growth and Opportunity Party. That is definitely much more of a uh, libertarian-esque. Uh, so no, very minimal government. And I thought I would probably fit there, but I guess my abortion stance is what puts me in the Christian Conservative Party. That's the sixth. And then finally, the Patriot Party. And that's where I would put like the Trump people. They're not particularly interested in actual Christianity or principles of libertarianism and freedom. They just think America. America, America free, home of the brave, got to love America, America first, all that stuff. And uh, so that's probably the, the Trump version. Um, I'd love for you to go take it. Uh, I'm sure I'll tweet it and Facebook it, put the link out there. But if you just Google New York Times, six political parties, it, it pops up. And I'd love to know. And I hope you know, I, I think I've showed myself over the years, I'm never offended by those who are different than me. I'm always intrigued by those who are different than me. I mean, unless they're cantankerous and mean, I can give it right back if I have to. So uh, I'd love for you to go take it and share your results with me. And maybe your sharing of results will spur on other conversations, if you, especially where you and I disagree on something. That might be quite helpful indeed. On that healthcare one in particular, I want to come back and visit it here sometime soon, why the government does not have a responsibility to provide healthcare for everybody. Thanks for listening to The Corey Truax Show. I'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.